Sounds like that dream you had helped you sort things out. I suppose it did. But I have begun to wonder. What if it wasn't a dream? What if this life we're leading, all of this, you and me, everything, what if all of this is the illusion? That's a scary thought. I know, I know. But maybe, just maybe, Benny isn't the dream. We are. Maybe we're nothing more than figments of his imagination. For all we know, at this very moment, somewhere far beyond all those distant stars, Benny Russell is dreaming of us. Welcome, everybody, to Deep Space Pride, a gay Star Trek podcast. My name is Mike. I am one of your co-hosts. And with me is Johnson, my co-host, our co-host. Johnson, how are you doing this fine Sunday? I'm okay, I think. Three-day weekend. I'm excited about that. Yes. It's better than a two-day weekend. That is true. Uh, It's nice to have that extra time. I know. Um, I'm excited. Any big plans for the holiday tomorrow? Uh, I'm gonna go to Queens to pick up some coral from someone. Oh, okay. And, <laughs> and, 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 we, are, and, we are having dinner tomorrow. Oh, we are having I mean, dinner. I don't know tomorrow. where we're eating. We're probably gonna keep going back and forth until we starve, but you know, something possibly. Cool. I mean, we discussed a possibility, but there are there, options. There are options. Uh, you kind of want ramen. That's all I know. I, it is true. I do kind of want ramen. So. We can do ramen, uh, but fine. yeah. But also, for those of you who don't know, uh, finally New York City has reopened indoor dining to yeah. a twenty-five percent capacity. So uh, it is. Uh, this is after eleven months. I don't think we've had indoor dining for eleven months, have we? Is that correct? It's been a long time. I don't know. I don't. I remember. think there was a little bit in our dining. No, there was a little bit in our dining, and then I think in December or November it kind of shut down. Okay, and they did outdoor. I running. think it was even earlier than that, but it feels like a forever ago that indoor dining was an allowed thing. So, hmm. yeah. So we got that going on. Yeah. So on our holiday weekend, which is nice, it's President's Day here in the U.S. and Valentine's Day today. And Valentine's Day today, yes. Which you and Dennis don't really celebrate, but it's something. We, yeah, it's not a big holiday for us. You're, you're right. We, we did discuss this a little bit just to make sure that both, both of our expectations were the same. You know, so we, we tend to show and share our affection for one another all the time. So we don't necessarily need a holiday. Every day is Valentine's Day. There we go. Yes. So yes. we we decided, although that may change in the future, but for now, that is what we 
have decided. So I think it's important. That's one of the things we, you know, I would say to you, any couple out there or people who are dating is to have conversations, communicate and have conversations about expectations, especially around holidays. I think it's really important to kind of outline what your expectations or what your traditions are, what you believe, and, and also make sure that you really do believe that it's important to you and not that it's someone else's expectations put upon you, like the Hallmark card industry mm. so or the candy Hershey industry or whatever your Valentine's Day pick-me-up is. But, um, but also for a lot of people, it's, you know, it's... Uh, also called Singles Awareness Day. So I'm single. Uh, I'm yes, aware. You are. I'm aware of the fact <laughs> I'm single. Yes. Yes. Uh, so um, you are. And uh, any any prospects on the dating a- front? Absolutely not. There's no, no one. No one. No one. No one. But that's okay. It's okay. That's okay. Yeah. So Johnson. Uh, let's get into your episode. And what did you Star Trek this week? And you people, you're all astronauts on some kind of Star Trek. Yeah, so I have been going through Voyager. So I'm on season four now. Um, You're catching up to me. Oh, no, I have to get back and... Well, I'm also... So I'm doing what you did, or what you're doing, rather, which is I'm not watching every single episode... Um, I'm just kind of picking and choosing what I'm watching. And it's really interesting. It's been, I would say, around 20 years since I've seen Voyager. But I literally remember these episodes. I, I, re- I read the synopsis. I remember this episode. And then the episodes I do watch, I remember, oh, this moment's coming up. This moment's coming up. And I have no idea. It's been so long since I've watched Voyager. And literally, most of these Voyager episodes I've only seen once. I haven't ever done a Voyager rewatch. So I'm like, how do I remember this so well? So I don't know. But most recently, I, I rewatched Year of Health. So that two-parter, which is good. Okay. Yeah. You know, I enjoyed it. Yeah. But yeah. I've been honestly enjoying my Voyager. As I said to you, your Voyager renaissance, now it's my Voyager renaissance. So, which actually is funny because right now, Jamie is also obsessed with her Da Vinci holodeck program I'm like whatever but oh gosh yeah I like Leonardo da Vinci get out of here but I'm enjoying it I I really am I feel I'm liking Voyager more this time than when I watched it the first time and maybe it's because I'm skipping the episodes that aren't good for example I didn't decide to watch the episode where Harry Kim goes to this planet that's like dominated by women and they just they want to trap him because they want his DNA to procreate. That one I decided to not watch because I was like, I know exactly what, I don't remember the title of the episode. I read one line of synopsis. I like, I was like, I know exactly what this episode is about. I do not need to watch this episode versus obviously Scorpion or Your Hell or whatever. I, yeah, so overall, I'm really liking it. I forgot well, I didn't forget, but I realized that I was a total shipper of Janeway and Chakotay back in the day. I totally bought into their relationship, kind of. They didn't really go deep into it. They kind of just had 
being that it wasn't a serialized show and they, you know, classic Star Trek's not very good exploring interpersonal relationships when it comes to romances. But in this case, they there were a few episodes here and there, particularly that episode Resolutions, which is when they were stuck on a planet because they both got bitten by a bug or whatever. And they're, they spent like six months together or something like that. But I was a total shipper. I, I, I realized that back in the day, even now, I'm a total shipper. But I know it doesn't go anywhere because, you know, Chakotay falls in love seven of nine by Endgame. So anyway, I feel there was like so much <laughs> lost potential. And sometimes there, there'll be like a little touch here. Jamie's also very touchy. I've noticed this. She touches everyone. Um, I don't know. It's like, a, you know, she's very affectionate in everyone's family. But it's, a, you know, she touches people's arms, their shoulders, their backs. I'm like, Janeway, stop touching everyone. But I, I don't know. She's very, very touchy. Um, I've noticed this and I, I always pick it out, <laughs> but she's particularly touchy with Chakotay. So Chakotay. So I'm always like watching out for that. And then, you know, another thing that I'm really trying to focus on, cause you know, it's been 20 so years since Voyager ended Aprox. And we know that there were all these issues between Kate Mulgrew and Jerry Ryan, right? Like we know there's been rumblings about that. We, it's not a secret that Kate Mulgrew was not the biggest fan of Jerry Ryan. And I'm like, you know what? Kate Mulgrew is an amazing actress because I'm not detecting any friction between Captain Janeway and Seven of Nine, like at all. Like they seem like Captain Janeway seems genuinely affectionate towards Seven. And I'm like, you know what? This just really speaks to how Kate Mulgrew is an amazing actress because she can just compartmentalize her feelings. Sure, five minutes ago when, you know, they're maybe they're putting on makeup or whatever, Kate Mulgrew is like, whatever. Like she she's probably giving attitude on set. But then once they start filming, it's all professional. So <laughs> I'm actually looking to looking for that and I'm not detecting it. And I'm just like, you know what? Kate Mulgrew is actually a great actress because she can yeah. just find those feelings. She is so, a really great actress and I never yeah. picked up on that. I did not pick up on the touchy-feely aspects oh, of her. Oh my god. Look for it. She okay. touches everyone. There's so much touching. Well, I sort of no paused. One's off, no one's off limits. I paused my rewatch. I actually just checked to see where I left off. I was in season six. I just oh. finished uh, Tinker Tenor Doctor Spy was the last episode that I watched. That was a good episode. So, yeah. All about the doctor. Um, yeah. But I have not continued on as other things have kind of come up. So yeah, I'm I'm just really, you know, I think season three is where, and this oftentimes happens with most of these series. Season three, season four, there are just a slew of good episodes. The end of season three is really strong. Other than Scorpion, there was I'm trying to remember. I think there was a great doctor episode. I think it was the one where he was like losing his memory or something. That one, if you recall, where, mm -hmm. you know, they had yep. to like reformat him. Uh, there was the episode Distant Origin about the dinosaurs. That was a great episode. There was just a slew, slew of good episodes towards the end of season three. I really enjoyed it. Uh, and, you know, season four, I'm sad that Kess left and it was coming. I was always a Kess fan. And I'm like, oh, bye, Kess. And, but now we have, seven and she's basically the highlight of every episode so it's good you know we'll, we'll, we'll uh, see if I continue my pace but honestly that's what I've been star tracking this whole time okay sounds and good I'm really enjoying it great so, well good what about you
What have you been Star Trekking? Well, uh, I haven't been wa- watching anything until yesterday when I was working on my new office setup and I binged the whole season of Lower Decks. I can't believe you watched all of it. It's it was so funny. I mean, it's, you know, they're 30 minute episodes. So it's what? It's uh, five hours. And, you know, um, so yeah, it was really enjoyable. Enjoyed every moment of it. Uh, funny, you know, lighthearted, you know, a lot of, you know, I picked up on obviously all the things that we talked about when we were watching it originally, the callbacks, the, you know, all of the all the fun little parts. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm I'm a huge Mariner fan. Uh, Tawny Newsom's amazing, uh, so I really am really enjoyed watching it again. I mean, Lower Deck season one was so good. I mean, I would definitely rate it above Discovery season three, which you know you know that I did not love. We know part season one. I mean, I thought it was just such a consistent first season, and it just hit so many. It hit I mean, so I- many good marks. I mean, I thought Picard season one was just as good. I mean, oh, I, I think that... I gave it what a seven out of ten. I, oh, I don't know. I don't remember. But I, uh, I have many complaints about Picard season one. Well, you have many complaints in general <laughs> about life in general. <laughs> about life in general. But yeah, so I watched uh, all of uh, all of the first season of Lower Decks, and then I actually started watching Picard again. Okay. Uh, but I, I only got halfway through before the end of the night of the first episode. So, mm. um, yeah. And then today, actually, I picked back up and restarted the um, Picard novel. I thought about Riker. Three, I was going to roll my eyes. No, I was. Um, I was no. Settle down. <laughs> Continue your thought. <laughs> uh, the Dark Veil by James Swallow. So I started listening to that this afternoon. So uh, this time I'm more, I don't know, I guess I'm more inclined to to uh, listen to it now uh, than when it first came out. And I think it part, in part because of the finale of Lower Decks, obviously you get to see Titan and Deanna and, mm-hmm. and Will and then uh, Boimler heads off to the Titan and gets the the new uniform and everything. And so uh, Mariner's so confusing to me. Mariner's leaving him uh, voicemails. Yeah. Uh, You know, one thing, one of the things I did really love about rewatching Lower Decks is, you know, just filling in all the bleeps in my mind, you know, I mean, what do you mean? all the bleeps i mean they swear a lot in that show and uh, oh. it's all ble- it's all bleeped out uh but it's just fun to hear hear those bleeps I don't, and- why are they bleep it out i mean they don't bleep out the cursing on the card they just drop the f-bomb yeah i mean i don't know i mean it's uh maybe it's a cartoon piece because uh kids yeah. are more likely to watch it because it's i mean i don't expect the f-bomb on like prodigy but it's it's still cbs all access so i I, I don't know i mean give them a call ask them why it was bleeped out i don't know but it was still pretty good uh you know and and still you know you still fill it in in your mind anyway so you you still hear it even though you don't hear them saying it so so yeah so that's what i've been uh star trekking this week and you know that's uh yeah that brings me to uh talk a little bit about our one of our sponsors for the Trek Geeks podcast. Fan sets. Fan sets. Their pins have character. 
Yes, thank you. <laughs> and they're they they support our network. So um, you know, the funny thing is that I just got an order of fan sets and I did have um I ordered a Mariner pin and a mini delta from Lower Decks. So I did get those. Um is your I pin also- board not full yet? It was not full. And in fact, so after the last, uh, so remember last time I was talking about my pin board and how I had not finished it. Well, I did finish it because the next day after we recorded that we had a snow day for work. And so part of my using that snow day was to finish my pin board. So go and check out, we'll post it on Instagram. It's on my personal Instagram um, or will be by the time this is released and, uh, check out my pin board. But I also, um, so I finished it that day. So I finished mm-hmm. it on the snow day, but then I went back, I got the, a few new pins in. I also in cleaning out and organizing things, I found a few other random pins. So I put them in there as well. So it's kind of, it's, it's mainly fan sets and, and Star Trek pins, but there are some other eclectic pins in my display as well. So are you going to start another pin board once this one's full or what? Do you I think? am not. I'm, I'm going to slow down a little bit. I, I'm really going to be picky and choosy about which pins I get. Oh, OK, um, you know, I, I, I the order surprisingly so they didn't have the they were out of stock of the california class cerritos so i was kind of bummed about that so i didn't get that and uh well it just gives me another reason to place another order eventually but mm-hmm. that and uh i didn't i didn't pick up jen reese i should have picked up jen reese i did get a kyler detmer though so Det- detmer is now part of my collection hmm. and um johnson it, he, those of you, obviously, none of you can see Johnson, but he is mildly uninterested. In <laughs> Sorry, am I bored okay. as I go on about fan sets? But anyway, um, so anyway, so fan sets because they're one of our sponsors. We have a promotion code that you can use uh, when you place your order at fan sets, and that code is DS Pride, all in caps, uh, and that'll get you ten percent off your next order of fan sets and they're also doing a contest which if you so they they do this women of trek collection and i talked a little bit about it the last time i have uhura and jadzia dax um and uh i believe they're coming out with a re-release of beverly crusher uh and i'll also go through some other um yeah dr beverly crusher is coming out as a Actually, tomorrow, the 15th of February, uh, they're doing releasing a new Beverly Crusher pin. Uh, also coming out February 15th, they have Elnor, a Choose to Live pin. I'm excited to check that one out because I already have Elnor. Uh, Rafi pin. I love Rafi. I know you do uh, not. I hate Rafi. Uh, a Picard so fucking pin. Annoying. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Tell us how you really feel. I, uh, I just don't. I, I, she needs to tone down the fucking JL thing in season two. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just saying, like, it's okay. so fucking disrespectful. Continue. <laughs> okay. Uh, they are also releasing Picard episode pins for episode six, The Impossible Box, and episode seven, one of our favorites, Nepenthe. Yes. Uh, and also, it's today is Valentine's Day. And if you'd like to get your own Horgon, hor- hor- 
you can do that. They uh, got those in early. And so you can check those out all out at Fansets. And um, so Beverly Crusher is coming out this week, but they're also getting ready to launch their third series of Women of Trek Collection. And they want help from our listeners. So if you go to trekgeeks.com slash vote, you can submit who you want uh, to be in series three in their Women of Trek line. And you'll be entered to win uh, in a random drawing, uh, a complete Women of Trek master set and a set of the series two pins. So that's pretty nice. A whole set, uh, the master set, I believe, comes framed. And uh, all the series two pins include Tilly and T'Pol are in there. Jadzio is in there. Uh, Beverly Crusher and uh, Christine Chapel as well. So yeah, uh, go to truckgeeks.com slash vote to put your choice in and maybe you'll get chosen and win all of these wonderful prizes. So all the pins yes and we want to thank fansets for sponsoring the trek geeks podcast network and deep space pride thanks fansets i have fought the good fight i have finished the course i have kept the faith i've never known you to quote from the bible i'm full of surprises aren't i so let's move on to the meat of this episode. So it is Black History Month, and we are going to talk about one of the uh, probably the strongest and most pivotal and uh, just impressive episodes in Star Trek Deep Space Nine, which is Far Beyond the Stars. And, uh, you know, I actually recently... Which, Rewatched this i actually watched it on the date that it was uh originally released on february 11th uh so it's been 23 coincidentally, years coincidentally though totally coincidentally it yeah uh it was not on purpose but uh kind of funny that uh i did watch it on that particular um on that particular day so we are going to talk about this. And, and actually, before we ever launched this podcast, we actually did do an episode on this, kind of one of our many test episodes uh, that we had recorded. And uh, it was so long ago. It so was. We, we were did, like, we... we live in a different world now, kind of. Do we? So we thought <laughs> that it would make sense to re-watch and re-record. Yeah. And um, so let me give you the brief, if you have not watched Far Beyond the Stars in a while, you should. And we'll talk about a little bit about why you should. But uh, here's a brief from Netflix. It says, after a friend's ship is destroyed, Cisco contemplates leaving Starfleet while having visions of himself and his crew as sci-fi writers in the 1950s. So, uh, you know, first off, being the two of us are from are living in New York city. I'm you're from here. I am not, mm -hmm. um, but uh, seeing old New York footage was pretty cool. That was fine. I, it didn't really hit me anyway. I was like, Oh, oh okay. Well, I mean, it's like some set on the Paramount lot. It was fine. Well, not the, the set, but the, the, the sky views of New York that they kind of opened with, Oh yes, uh, yes, you know, yes. and, and those sorts of things was really cool. But, 
So I thought we'd just walk through the episode, kind of talk about certain parts of it and get our, you know, have a conversation about its kind of importance. So this was 23 years ago and so long ago, so long ago, but still very prescient, uh, very much a part of can be part of the conversation today. Is because not relevant. much has changed. Unfortunately. Sad, sadly, sadly, true. Yeah. Um, so we open this episode right with uh, Joseph Cisco coming to Ben's office to chat with him after mm-hmm. Ben has learned that his friend has died in the Dominion War. Right. Right. So, and he's really kind of questioning whether he should stay in Starfleet or not. Um, and then we kind of. You know, we kind of get right into it with Ben seeing a vision of Rene Aubergine. Joanna, I don't know how to say his last name. Rene, I just call him Rene. I don't know. Rene. Anyway, yes. Yeah. Odo, uh, Odo. Not being Odo, yeah. you know, looking in a 50s era suit, uh, walking across the station's uh, command center and outside of his office. And he's he like, who is that? Um, and everyone else is like, who's who? What are you talking about? Yeah. You're I mean, crazy. Right. And when you first yeah. kind of get this, when you first kind of see that, you you think, man, you know, what are we seeing here? What's going on? But also, like, how, ex- first of all, you really get the impression right off the bat how exhausted and tired Ben Sisko is. Like, I think that. You, yeah. You, Avery Brooks does a great job articulating how over it he is. Yeah, I mean, actually, this is a huge showcase for Avery Brooks, really. And he directed it. Right, yeah. I was like, how I never understand when someone acts in something and directs it. Like, I'm like, that blows my mind. Obviously, you have an assistant director on set helping you, but it's just like so much work to, because he did so, you literally do all the heavy lifting. It's like every scene is focused on you, particularly this episode. And you're also behind the camera. And kind of framing every shot it just blows my mind anyway yeah so. no it's uh it's it's a you know it's a powerful episode and a you know and a, and a dramatic episode like a really tough episode very dramatic to, you yes. know we we see him really going through the motions here uh all of the emotions too mm-hmm. but i think right off the bat we get we we see how tired ben cisco is um and how losing a very close friend he um he was at their wedding he was at his wedding right Mm -hmm. yes um yeah ben was at his wedding yeah and um so it you know it kind of goes from there you know you see that that and he 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 starts seeing these visions and then suddenly he walks you know, he sees Michael Dorn. He sees in yeah. the hallway. Yeah, Michael Dorn as a baseball player, right? Uh, walk into a room and. By the way, I have to say, Michael Dorn is a handsome man. Like older, you know, probably too old for me, but he's a, out of all that makeup and all out of all those prosthetics. I'm like, oh, he he's a handsome man, and this episode really also struck me because Worf is usually just such a gruff, unhappy character. Most of the time it's kind of just like, you know, unhappy or kind of just really serious. 
But in this episode, we really get to see Michael Dorn play a very jovial character, very smiley, happy baseball player, right? Baseball player, correct? Correct, yes. And I'm like, yeah, you know, he's just literally, I think the first time I watch this episode and you see Michael Dorn coming through the hallway, I don't think I registered that it was Michael Dorn. And then I was like, oh, wait, was that Michael Dorn? It took me like a second. But anyway, this is also a moment for everyone to be out. No, everyone to be out, out of character. No one had to wear makeup. It was great, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, the funny I'm sure thing Renee about- was thrilled, like, because he didn't have to wear any makeup. Like, you know, right. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Especially Renee, right? Uh, you know, that, that brought back a memory for me. Michael Dorn was the first Star Trek actor I actually saw in person at a convention oh, really yeah and it was I've never a... been to a convention did i tell you have you do you know this about me i've never been to a convention i think i knew this about yeah okay yeah. i'm just not into conventions but anyway continue yeah um but we are going to vegas if it happens yes um yeah so i, I actually don't remember what year this was but i remember it being a small smaller convention i don't even remember whether i was in boston or New York I can't I, I don't think it was in New York I think it must have been in Boston or somewhere in the Northeast mm-hmm. and uh it was in a hotel like conference room type thing and and I mean I was probably like 20 30 feet away from him did you um, touch him did you, did you do the Janeway and touch his shoulder I did not do a Janeway <laughs> no 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 I'll have to see right while we're talking if I can find that photo because it's a pretty old photo uh it's also you know one of the one of the first I think if I look, when I look at my photo roll, I think I'm going to find it at the very beginning of the photo roll. So it's like one of the first pictures that I've, digital pictures that I ever took. Wow. But, oh my God. Yeah. So, so we, we see Ben follow Michael Dorn's character, the baseball player through the door. And suddenly he's in 1950s earth. And, and then he uh, gets run over by a car. And then he gets run over by a car. So but he's actually okay. Yeah, he's fine. But uh, so suddenly we're, we're these visions are actually becoming more real. And, you know, Cassidy is with him in the hallway when this all happens. And he doesn't, you know, she doesn't see any of this. So this is clearly something that Ben is experiencing on his own. Um, so it's just and that's kind of where it starts. You know, you, you kind of you get the impression that this is, you know, this is a Star Trek episode, obviously, but that it's, uh, that there's something else going on here. But what I think is really deceiving, but also really meaningful about this episode is that it goes down a dark hallway of the black experience in the 1950s and mm-hmm. uh, in 1998, still relevant and in 1998 when it came out and still relevant in 2021. In 2021 yeah. So, um, you know, it's, uh, it's a powerful episode in that way. And I think, uh, you know, as we kind of go on in, into the episode, so Benny kind of Ben actually becomes Benny and mm-hmm. Benny Russell and, the the thrust of this story happens in 1950s New York City and Benny is a writer and uh, wow you you know after the the first scene that always sticks out to me and that's still really powerful is 
is that scene where he's coming out of the office. It's late at night and he drops the picture, the futuristic picture of Deep Space Nine um, on the ground and one of the cops steps on it. And mm-hmm. this whole interaction that you get from, from them. Ka and Wei Yun. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You know, who are both white cops and already hassle him for uh, one coming out of an office. Like, what do you do there? Like questioning them, questioning him for no reason other than because he is a black man. And it's just, it's just a powerful scene and uh, one that, you know, has been repeated so many thousands of times for so many black people in our country. And uh, it's, it's just, you know, you immediately feel empathy for, for Ben or Benny in this case. And it's, you know, it really, it, for me, it jars me into this thinking that this is no longer a Star Trek episode. This is like, you know, a, a drama about, living as a black man in 50s one of the things i really did and you kind of touched on it you know one of the things i really did like about this episode was how they basically made this whole narrative very meta because benny is the one that is kind of dreaming up this story about benjamin cisco as a black captain and Deep Space Nine is the space station. I really liked how they use that as a narrative framing device for the the episode and how it was so important for Benny to be telling the story, not only as a Black author, but also being able, having this opportunity, you know, he ultimately was not able to publish the story, but how important it was for him to envision a future where a black man can be captain. It's just like meta on so many different levels for Avery Brooks as an actor, for Benny as a fictional character telling a story that's fictional. Avery Brooks is also behind the camera. They're just so, it's like so crazy, um, but it works. It really works well. So that's one of the things I really do like about this episode. And where Star Trek, I think, plays most effectively is when it gets into the sandbox where it plays in on itself, but then also uses allegory to effectively tell a lesson or a story. This was when I, I think that when I first watched it, I still think this a little bit. I do think that this is in some ways a more direct and heavy-handed episode in that it's teaching a lesson. And it's, you know, like you're saying, it's obviously a lesson about, it's a it's a look, a lesson, but a look into the Black experience in America in the 50s and also in the 90s. But at the same time, there's all these other layers to it that it isn't just like a straight shot either. Like you can kind of peel it back and there are just so many ways to look at it. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that this is uh, this episode can be viewed standalone. This episode can still have power, even if you are not a Star Trek fan. I, I mean, honestly, if, if I were an educator and covering 
the black experience in America, this would be something that I would show, you know, what's, uh, one of the things that I personally committed to this month was reading, uh, cast by Isabel Wilkerson, which is an amazing novel, uh, not a novel, a nonfiction, um, about the origins of our discontent and the, the caste system that is, is uh, here in America. And it's really, this is a, this is a powerful example of uh, the caste system and what it looks like, mm-hmm. what it looked like then, what it still looks like in a lot of ways. Uh, so I really find that this is almost an educational supplement to reading that book. And I'm, I'm about halfway through that book, so I've not completed it yet, but, um, you know, I've listened to the Oprah podcast about it as well. And, uh, the stories in, in the stories in the book and the stories that you hear, uh, are very similar to mm-hmm. what you see in this episode. The other thing, you know, the other scene that really sticks out for me for this episode is uh, when Jake gets shot and killed in the street and Benny runs to kind of hold him and to look at him. And you see all these cop cars everywhere and you watch Benny get the crap kicked out of him. Mm-hmm. Um and but also what you so you see that violence against a black man by white police officers what you also see if you are aware is you're watching the crowd and how other policemen are holding back others and holding the crowd at bay and you know they're holding cassie who's with him and uh you know holding her back from from joining him and it's just it is just a you know, watching that happen, it's, it's traumatizing. It's not unlike watching the evening news. Um, certainly when the Black Lives Matter protests were happening, uh, specifically, right. you know, things happening in Seattle uh, that happened mm-hmm. last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's traumatizing to see that. And, and in this case, because we're Deep Space Nine fans and we're fans of Avery Brooks and we're fans of Ben Cisco. Mm-hmm. This takes on an even deeper meaning and in, you know, it causes even more empathy and more compassion and really it, it puts you in the experience even more than normal. Uh, it's, it's really, uh, it's really a powerful scene. Uh, but I know there's another powerful scene that you wanted to talk a little bit about. Which one? Are you talking about towards the end? Yes, towards the end. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. No, I really, you know, and Avery Brooks is such just a powerhouse actor. Like he just has so much gravitas and he just knows how to play scenes really well and kind of strike the right notes. And obviously, I think that one of the, one can, one can say is a climax of, this episode is when Renee's character, I do not recall the in-universe names of you know each of the characters, but is when Renee character Renee's character comes in to deliver news that the publisher A didn't want to publish this month's issue. So because, it was pulped, you know. Right. Was, so it was pulped. Yeah. And that Benny was also fired. Um, and 
Avery's performance in the scene when he just really, you can feel the anguish and just how much emotion he's feeling. And I think this is really just a culmination of the character's journey throughout the episode, but then also I think Avery is putting a lot of himself in the scene um, where he is putting a lot of his experiences as a black man in America, a black actor in America, and just fueling Benny's breakdown where he just, he, he's just, again, the, the level of anguish and misery that he exudes, but then just him like falling on the floor and, you know, it's just there. And you can see like, just, you know, he's, he's crying, he's screaming, he's, he's, you know, he's collapsing. He's, there's a lot going on. Um, and I was saying this to you earlier. I just think another reason why this is so effective is we rarely see that much emotion come out of our characters on Star Trek. There's, I think DC Science definitely probably want, most people would agree that's one of the darker series and everyone gets pushed through the ringer at some point. Um, but rarely do we see a scene with this much emotion versus, again, I will not talk about it too much, but on Discovery, I feel every episode, there's crying. I complain about this in season three. There's crying, there's tears to the point where it's like, all right, like every, 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 every moment, every character moment, every hard decision, there are tears, there's crying versus this where it was so effective because they don't, they don't play that card very often. So I think that it, you know, you can just really feel it. And again, just a great moment for Avery Brooks. I think that I was reading some commentary about this where the cast was just kind of letting him do his thing um, because he was just so caught up in, Avery was so caught up in the moment of playing that character, that, that moment for Benny, that the cast, all they could do was kind of just respond um, and react the best they could. And in some ways, let Avery just do his thing for this scene because he was just so caught up in it. So yeah, I think that there are mo- there, in some ways, like it's, there's like a um, like character acting in it where he's just like putting so much of himself into it that it just makes it so effective. Um, but obviously, yes, it's a culmination of everything that happens to Benny in this episode. And yeah, and then he's just carted off to like the insane asylum. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was just definitely one of the highlights for me in this episode. Yeah, it was definitely powerful. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about with this episode too is these occasional flashes of the Deep Space Nine reality into mm-hmm. the vision, if you were, of what was happening to Benny Russell. What do you think? It, what were your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, like, I think that it plays into what we usually see when it comes to visions that are delivered from prophets, where it's a mix of reality and you know, the message they're trying to deliver. I think even usually in, even in episode one, in Emissary, we see like the prophets are kind of playing scenes. Like, is it reality? Is it a vision? Is it a story? Is it a lesson? Is it a story? You know, what is it? So I think that it is somewhat par for the course. It is using 
snippets of reality, snippets of people in Francisco's life and using those elements to teach him some sort of lesson. But yeah, I, I, you had a, did you have a negative reaction to that or was it confusing? Or what I mean, was it was a way? little confusing. Uh, I think it took me out of the story and I almost wish that it had played out as one complete story in the 1950s. Mm-hmm. And then when he was carted away to the asylum, mm-hmm. he would wake up and be in the, in the infirmary on deep space nine and kind of had this, this, uh, vision and had to make sense of it. You know, uh, you know, also we talked a little bit about this before we started recording, but we, you thought, and, and I, and now I believe this too, like it was also to the whole point of this vision was to remind Ben that he was on the right path. Right. Yeah. You're talking about the whole purpose of this vision, the purpose of the vision uh, and how it, and how it came from the prophets and how the prophets were kind of involved in all of this. And obviously, you know, the other, the confusing part of this, story as well was the parts that joe cisco played in in the 1950s version where he was the priest and kind of preaching from the the soapbox per se right uh, about the prophets which really didn't i you know didn't make sense to benny but didn't make sense to me either i mean it was a little heavy-handed that was a that was one element that was more heavy-handed because a, he's, you know, no minister on the street corner is going to talk about prof- the prophets that much from scripture. Right. Like, there's definitely a little bit of that, but, you know, he was really hammering home the, the words of the prophets. I was like, I get it. I understand. But then, obviously, I think it's playing into the, the messianic figure that Ben Sisko as the emissary plays i mean like you know i get it's like i get it i understand um that was a little bit do you think it was foreshadowing or was it kind of something else you mean ben sisko's ultimate sacrifice or what do you well i mean that yeah obviously at the in the finale that happens but you know the the heavy-handedness of the minister in in the 1950s is it is he sort of foreshadowing and saying oh like, i mean not necessarily i didn't necessarily see it like that but i think ben cisco as the emissary is always seen as sent by the gods right sent, mm. sent by the bajoran gods to be the emissary slash messiah and ultimately kind of being the the advocate of the gods and Ultimately, I don't even remember from Bajoran scripture what exactly the emissary was supposed to do. Like, what's he was the emissary supposed to bring peace and prosperity, or that? Yeah, wasn't... you know, I don't remember exactly, don't remember exactly. either. I'm trying to trying to remember Basically, what like he was. The, he was like a godly messenger mm-hmm. of some sort. Um, yeah. but usher I... in a new age. Maybe it was maybe his the point of the emissary was to usher in a new age for the Bajoran people. Yeah, I'm trying uh, to remember the Bajoran lore, but. Yeah. I, I do think that there are shades of him being like a Christ-like Messiah of some sort um, here. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if that ultimately was a foreshadowing of him needing to quote unquote sacrifice himself right. um, at the end. But, you know, I think there's definitely 
a play into, especially given that Deep Space Nine was our big first foray into religion in Star Trek. Right, um, yeah. I think that they definitely took, I mean, they definitely took elements from different Earth religions, but I definitely think Christianity mm-hmm. was one of the things they played into when it comes to like the emissary, quote unquote. Yeah. And what the emiss- who the emissary was. Right. Yeah. That's and yeah, he also had, yeah, there was like this, like, uh, I mean, we, we don't explore this until the, I guess, the end of season six, beginning of season seven, how he actually was, his birth was actually, remember, like, yeah, a prophet, one of the prophets was actually his real mother or something like that. Even I don't remember all the details, but it was, it was like a miraculous birth. It wasn't just like, you know, he was a standard human that was just chosen to be the emissary. It was actually. Right. Yeah. Sarah, the prophet, was actually his mother. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, good, good thoughts. I'm trying to think if there's anything else, you know, really part, really to kind of talk about in this episode that we haven't already. I'm sure there's more. <laughs> I'm sure there's like more layers to it, but I think, yeah, I, I think overall, I, you know, I think that it was just. Uh, you know, like, I, I don't know if it was kind of shoehorned in where they were like, oh, we need to have an episode to talk about the Black Experience America and let's try to, like, fit this into Ben Sisko's journey a little bit. But I still, at the end of the day, no matter, like, what the intention was, I think that it was pulled off really well and was really effective. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think it's a powerful episode. It's still relevant today. It's still, uh, it's actually almost surprisingly too relevant today to uh, to our world and to our country. So it's uh, it's uh, it's great to go back and watch, you know, watch an episode that still comes to life. Mm-hmm. Whereas a lot of the, you know obviously the TOS shows and, and the episodes and a lot of the, even some of next generation are very dated. Right. But this is this, this one episode is not dated. So I think it's really uh, a powerful Testament to how Star Trek can uh, talk to really important topics and continue the discussion long after it's aired. Um, For sure. So yeah, uh, I mean, really powerful episode. And I, you know, I, I think this is worthy of our rewatch of anyone who wants to better understand the Black experience in America, even today, even though this is set in the 1950s, uh, or the, the Benny Russell story is set in the 1950s. Wait, what right? year did it come out again? This is from 1998. 98, okay. Yeah, so, um, yeah, so... Yeah, I, I think we've we've done as much uh, justice as, as to this episode as we can. Uh, you know, the one other thing that you know, I I think we we did talk about before we got online with this was uh, just the relationship between Joe and Ben, Joe Cisco and Ben Cisco. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I I think that this this episode highlights how close they are as father and son. But it also, um, and and then if you take the whole series in in 
into account as well. You see three generations of Cisco right. men and uh, the closeness of that family. And, uh, and it's powerful. I think that yeah. it's that's... one of the things I like best about, um, and I'm sure it's been discussed ad nauseum where you see Ben and Jake and their relationship and even Joseph and, and Ben. I mean, there's a little bit more, you know, I would say that's a little more complex when it comes to their relationship, but definitely between Ben Cisco and Jake Cisco, that's one of the things that I think is for me, like for DS9, it was just so, I, I love the relationship. They're, they, they can joke with each other. They're close. Um, Jake actually listens to his dad, but he's still his own person. You know, there's so many layers to that relationship that I just really like a lot. And I do think that in interviews, um, Avery Brooks has mentioned that for him, it was important that they just, they showcase a healthy relationship between two, you know, black men in a father-son relationship, um, especially in this case, being an, an only dad, because, um, <laughs> Jennifer, I was like, what's her name? Jennifer, Jennifer, you know, Jennifer died much earlier. Um, And I think, yeah, it it just comes across so natural um, where they just have such a strong bond. And it's, we see this obviously in this episode too, um, where Jake, I don't know his, again, alter ego's name, uh, but they had, you know, even though they weren't father and son in this vision, that they still had this like strong relationship and how Benny really was playing a father figure, if not a father to Jake's character. Um, but yeah, I think that that's another thing more like, more like we're saying like across the series, but just a really strong showcase of a healthy black, you know, black relationship between father and son. Yeah, a loving relationship, and but also a uh, you know a, there's a friendship there, there's a parentage there, there's love there, there's also right. discipline there, you know, and right. uh, you know, yeah, I, I agree. It's a it's a powerful example of fatherhood, and certainly a powerful example of black fatherhood, which right. um, is certainly something that uh, a lot of people say isn't shown or isn't showcased isn't seen in television in general not enough so, yeah yeah so it's usually probably the other way usually like there's like a lot of conflict or you know or an absent father father yeah so this is a this is really a an example of uh powerful black fatherhood so yeah. uh yeah and, and they just uh, have so much chemistry too like i it's that's part of it for sure. They just play off each other so well. They just did a great job of casting. I don't know what it is. Yeah. So and 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 they did a great job in casting Joe Cisco too. I mean mm-hmm. that you know you see the generations, you see the closeness, and uh, yeah, that you can see the chemistry, like the the familial chemistry. Yeah. It's uh, you know it's it's evident, very evident and clear. So. Um, you, you can actually see that that love and that compassion and that care and that mm-hmm. discipline came from Joe to Ben and Ben is passing it on to Jake. Right. Um, so it's, yeah, 
I, I think it's it's great in that way. So uh, definitely definitely worth watching that show. I mean, we're both huge fans of of Deep Space Nine. So yes, uh, it is. Uh, you know, besides Next Generation, which we both grew up on, uh, Deep Space Nine is kind of the heart and soul of our fandom. So mm-hmm. yeah, definitely so, not Discovery season three. Well, for you, it's not yes. <laughs> for me. <laughs> and you continually try to get those jabs in. Like, season three. Oh my god. Yes, I, I think you, you need to let it go. I'll never let it go. It's, o- it's over. Hashtag never forget. anyway so that wraps up our uh, discussion of far beyond the stars definitely worth watching uh definitely great if you're if you're listening and you're an educator of any kind certainly an interesting and very prescient episode that you could show to your students that would really um help foster a great discussion and education of uh of the black experience mm-hmm. that was evident in the 50s that was evident in the 90s that is evident today as well so definitely yeah so uh i think that's going to do it for us for this week what uh why don't you share with our listeners how they can get in touch with us yeah so if you have any thoughts, notes, or questions, we would love to hear from you. You can email us at deepspacepride at gmail.com, or you can reach us, reach out to us on social media, on Twitter and Instagram. And our handles is our handles there is just deep space pride. Cool. And uh, next week, we're going to continue our Black History Month focus. And we are going to talk about the Nichelle Nichols documentary woman in motion about documentaries but sure yes about her impact on nasa and that actually comes out tuesday you can pre-order it on itunes or amazon uh apparently is that true i don't know um but i do know obviously we do know amazon and and itunes so you can pre-order it either place and we both have so we'll be watching it and discussing it next week on deep space pride so we hope you'll purchase it watch it and join us for that episode watch it and join us for the discussion that we're going to have on that so that's all i have for now uh thanks for listening everyone and we'll talk to you all next week bye everyone Deep Space Pride is a production of Coconut Media Works. Executive producers Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. For more great Star Trek discussion, discover the other shows of the Trek Geeks podcast network at trekgeeks.com or find us in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app.